Hello and welcome back to We're Not Selling Shoes Here, a new podcast for small charities that focuses not just on why we're driven to do what we do, but also some practical ways that we can make some noise, get some awareness and really hope that our organisation benefits from that awareness in terms of income. Today, I'm talking to Zoe Edwards, who's the fundraising and events manager for Alex's Wish, which is an award-winning charity conquering Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Hello, Zoe. Thank you for bearing with me as I messed up the intro two or three times. Um, (laughs) Zoe, I I had um, a couple of questions to, to kind of go through today, and we've already kind of looked at what they might be before we're starting. But my first question would definitely be, Um, you've been in the corporate world beforehand, you've been at Experian, I think that was right, for for quite some years, and now you're at um, Alex's Wish and have been for about seven or eight years. Why? What was it that brought you to the non-profit sector and why are you not out there selling shoes? Why are you in a non-profit role? Well, it's actually a bit of luck, to be honest. I started off... um... When I was in the corporate world, I did loads of volunteering. I was a trustee um, at a school and I loved just that kind of world. And then I took voluntary redundancy from um, what I always call my big proper job. And um, I just ended up volunteering, helping Emma when she set up this charity, Alex's Wish, um, just for a few days a week until I kind of found out what I wanted to do. And um, Weirdly, the whole process meant that I did find out what I wanted to do. So I ended up staying with Emma, like volunteering for about six months. Um, And then they kind of offered me a permanent job, which was still only a few days a week. So I did a few other jobs as well. And eventually, um, yeah, now I work full time and the charity's got much, much bigger. We started off um, in Emma's house and now we've got our own offices. We've got another member of staff. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been really good. And I think I'm always a bit of a hard worker and I love um, I love hard work. You know, what I mean, I love challenges and that kind of thing. And it's just um, such a difference to do it for something that's more meaningful. You know, um, in the what I call like the corporate world, you work really, really hard and you earn loads of money. But it all just goes to big corporates, to big shareholders, and you can't really see the value of what you do. And I think in a charity, you can 100% see the value of where your hard work goes. And actually, maybe that inspires you to work harder. What does that look like? Because I think that's that's exactly right. You know, that feeling that um, money is is essentially just a like a symbol or just a sort of a, um, a placeholder. Because we really, realistically, I guess, unless we're maybe a bit of a sociopath, nobody really works just for money, just for that, that number, that, that kind of item. You work for what that money opens in your life and where it takes you. Um, but for, I, don't, I mean, it sounds like you're in a similar kind of boat and 
people I'll hopefully get onto this podcast will have that similar kind of approach. But for me, it's never been, even the stuff I can get with that money has never been enough. I would do a job and I would tick over things and you would get money and it would be fine. But like you say, the fact that you can see where the effort goes and the fact that you can see the impact you're having can have such an impact itself on your hard work, on your efforts and on your energy. And for you yeah. in this in this charity, how do you how do you see when you talk about being able to, to see that stuff in front of you, the, the results of your work? How, how does that how do you actually see that? What does that actually look like? Well, for, for us and our charity, and I think maybe having a corporate background as, as much as I knock it probably has had a great benefit for me working in this role. And as a charity um, and how we work, it's, it's really effective in terms of, I, I don't know, it's not, there's no mucking around. You've got no opportunity to try think, oh we might try that we might try this it's like we're going to do it it's got to work and we haven't got time particularly with Alex's wish and Duchenne being um you know who what we're trying to cure is that you you do things in the most effective and efficient way and I think coming from a corporate background in terms of always looking at the bottom line makes you think much more clearly on how you're going to achieve things but I also think you kind of you attract those people as well so we work with other charities that are very like-minded you know they we we make sure that we have economies of scales there's no wastage we work together collaboratively um, we share ideas we share resources um and also it it means that you know when we work with corporates we understand them we understand why they would work with charities because it's not because they all want to be great and kind all the time there is a benefit back and you know you're not we're not stupid enough to realize that but it's just making sure that you know we fulfill all of that within the charity and I think um for me just being able to use those skills and make a charity as effective as possible is is what kind of drives me I suppose and what I think you know you know the benefits of the job now whereas like you say it's not all about the money obviously I need to get paid I've got a mortgage you know all of that kind of thing of course I do but I think to be able to get up and go to work and know that you make a difference that you're changing something that's very very important it's one of the biggest kind of benefits of working for a not-for-profit I think and as well as, I think it's really important that you expose yourself a lot to the beneficiaries. You know, whatever the charity is, um, you know, if you work in a children's um, hospice, if you work in a hospital, if you work with cancer patients, I think it's really important to constantly expose. It reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing and actually what change you're going to bring about as a team or individually. If we go back to where you started with Alex's Wish and you're talking about uh, volunteering for that period of time. Now, obviously, we're just you know, talking about money and, yeah, you need money to keep the lights on. But obviously, at that stage, you, you didn't have the money coming in. So what was it in those early, early years that, that took you into uh, Alex's Wish? Was it something about Emma herself? Was it about the cause or was it about a thing inside of you? that wanted to give your time in that way? 
Um, I think it was, I think it's a mixture actually. I mean, Emma's an inspirational person, definitely. Um, weirdly, I used to live next to Emma and before she had Alex. We've been friends for a really long time and then we, and then she had Alex and, you know, we've got children of a similar age and we used to go on holidays together. And then obviously Alex got diagnosed, which was devastating. Um, and then in those early years, the charity was all around family and friends. Um, so we'd do lots of events and all the family and friends would come. But obviously after a while, they're like, okay, we've been, we've been, we've done everything. We've jumped out of planes, we've done, and it just wasn't sustainable. So, um, you know, we had to kind of develop the charity and then that kind of that excitement and the energy around what, what the potential could be, you know, where we could take it and, you know, how satisfying would it be if it, if it does make a difference, if we can make it as a success. So for me, that kind of hard work driver thing, it's like, well, give me a challenge. That was perfect. And it was like, you know, I was doing it for a friend, which again, again made it better. And also, you know, not just for Alex, it's for everybody else that's like Emma that has, you know, been knocked apart by this terrible condition and this diagnosis and things. So I think, um, yeah, there's lots and lots of different reasons, but it ticks so many boxes in terms of, you know, purpose and, and, and what you wanted to do. And obviously, because it was just the two of us as well. And I mean, I don't know if you've worked in a corporate, but you have to jump through so many boxes. To, you know, you can't, you can't bring about change quickly. Um, you can't be so dynamic. You can in certain instances but I think because we were like the world is our oyster we can take this wherever we want to um Emma's got a really good corporate background as well so we've both had a full understanding of you know what we could achieve um it was just really really exciting I was like right yeah I'm going to be part of this and almost like didn't want to give it up because it was something I was like well if this is all brilliant then I just want to be part of it and you know if we can make a difference then yes I'm going to be part of that as well so yeah there's lots of different reasons but I think um like my own personal values um and beliefs I guess were just so satisfied by this job really so um yeah and the potential again because there was nobody telling us we couldn't do anything we could do whatever we wanted and if it didn't work that was okay we try another way so it was it was quite nice to be able to like be free to do and develop it and take it forward as we as we we didn't have to go and ask permission to do different things it's like right that's the solution let's go and do it and it was just I think I work quite autonomously anyway so I think for me that works out you know tell me what you want the end goal to be and I'll get us there you know give me a time give me an objective and I'll, I'll get us there I I don't like reporting in and you know I don't like people giving me task lists I just like to be able to do things that you know in my own time and that so that really worked for me as well having you know working with Emma but also working with a small team and also just the mixture of things that you end up doing as well so you know it, it makes me laugh sometimes when we talk to charities and they'll say, oh, um, well, I'll ask the accounts department or, and you think, oh my God, I am the accounts department, you know, and oh, we'll speak to marketing. Oh, I'm marketing as well. So I think, um, 
you know that's good um it obviously you know you've got to be careful because you want to grow and you've got to be aware of capacity and you know making those right decisions but yeah it's it's good fun definitely I suppose there's something to say about the fact that uh, earlier you were mentioning that you know you work really hard at a corporation and you make loads of money and um part of that is that I guess that 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 level that our society is built on, which is that money for a job is kind of paid to you as a compensation for you having to spend your time in a place you don't really want to be. I mean, that's yeah. almost like the definition of work, isn't it? I'm people are be, people are paying people to be somewhere that they don't want to be, doing something that they don't want to do, and the more that that happens, there's almost an expectation that there's more money involved. Whereas, I mean, I used to be a video games journalist and there was this perception that, you know, therefore you don't actually need to get paid very much, which um, in that role is almost, there's a level of truth there, which is obviously you're doing a bit something that's a bit fun, you're enjoying yourself, yeah, that's great, but you're still doing a job, therefore obviously you still deserve to be paid, but it gets even worse and kind of more poisonous when you look at the way that nurses, for instance, and um, daycare nurses and um, I guess ultimately people that work in charities are concerned because there is a perception that these people are doing something that almost is nice and kind and with people and they don't need to be paid that much for it because we think that there's a level of passion that goes into a job or kindness or whatever like that and therefore they don't necessarily need that much money back. It's almost as if it's a privilege for them to do that job. Yeah. So there's, there's obviously an awful kind of balance between the fact that charities have only a certain amount of money and plus they've got the onus on making service delivery happen. That's why they exist. But much as you've just said, you've got many, many hats. You're doing marketing, you're doing accounts, you're doing fundraising, you're doing this, that and the other. And so we should be able to live a life, maybe not of huge plenty, but to live a life and give ourselves to a cause at the same time. And how for you do you balance that? How do you maintain that energy and that motivation to, to drive forward for a purpose that really does go beyond selling shoes, while at the same time being aware that, you know, not just your own budgets personally, but the budget of the uh, restrictive funds of the charity and that you need to fill that funding gap? Yeah, I mean, gosh, that is a really hard thing for me, personally. Um, I do still have people that think that I do this voluntarily. And then when I try and explain it, the guilt is just awful because you're kind of going, well, no, I, I don't do it. I mean, I wish I could, but I don't because I need to. But I think sometimes charities are our own worst enemies for things like that because, you know, doing thing, things on a shoestring you know, may mean that you're actually not being as effective as you need to be. And sometimes you do need to make an investment to get a return. And we are really conscious um, within Alex's wish that we always keep to the ratio of 30, 70, at the very worst, 40, 60 in terms of costs. And being an events-based charity, which we're moving away from. So, sorry, just to say that um, for people who might not immediately get that, so you mean 30-70 in terms of the split between internal costs and service delivery, would that be right? Yeah, so um, 
30-70 or 40-60 is the ratio that most charities are expected to work at in terms of cost versus income. So um, I think, you know, that where the days where charities would take 90p to raise a pound are just not ethically acceptable anymore. So we all need to report our accounts every year to the Charity Commission, and that will display obviously your cost versus your income. And it's really good practice within the industry to keep it at around 70-30 or 60-40 and costs being the lowest of those two percentages. Um, and we are really conscious of that. And I think um, when you're at a charity that works a lot in events, events are expensive to put on. So that can quite easily creep up. That's why we're deciding and we're working towards um, you know, expanding our fundraising income streams to make sure that we get some money in from trusts and foundations and regular giving that don't have such a high percentage of cost attributable to them. So I think, yeah, in terms of in terms of working for a charity, I don't ever claim any of my mileage. I don't claim back petrol. Sometimes if I go and post out laser thank you letters, I don't claim back my postage. Um, and everyone says, oh, you should do, you should do. But I always think to myself, well, that's my little contribution. It's, it's a real, I think, um, you know, depending on, I suppose, your own personal values, but sometimes it's a real struggle between, um, you know, actually earning money from it. I know how much, how hard it is to fundraise. So I understand that the money that comes in, you know, is so valuable that, it, you know, um, it, I do always feel guilty that I have to take um, an income from it. But then you wouldn't get anybody to work for charities. It's not sustainable. It would all be old, retired people or, you know, so it's, it's kind not, of... Not that old, retired too. people can't, can't give some value, but I know, I know what you mean. It's, it's also this aspect of, of looking at um, the, the right investment in the right place isn't it and the right kind of activity at the right time in the right way somebody I was speaking to actually we both know um and was at your event last year who's going to be on the podcast soon was saying that he was looking at uh, essentially outsourcing part of his marketing activity for the charity because he was looking at it and saying if the charity is paying him x and his strength is in this particular way but a lot of his time is being taken up by things that aren't that strength, then essentially it's just as bad as wasting that money because the money comes into the charity and it needs to have a certain impact. And if he is doing a half job, again, not judging his activity, but if he's doing a job that he knows someone else can do better and that all it takes is to spend a bit of money on making that happen, that could then have a positive result for the organisation, it's better than the money going to him and him trying to wear all these multiple hats at the same time. So there is that difficulty, isn't there, of that spread of, um, of responsibilities when you're in, especially in a small charity, and how you make the best use of your own time and the best use of the money that's within the organisation. Yeah, so it's, it's not always um, a wise idea to have a small team in terms of the amount of work that you need to get through because you know, being um, in marketing, being in accounts, um, it's the headspace, it's the creativity, it's about thinking about all the things that you need to do. And 
uh, we're just actually now recruiting or we're putting out to recruit somebody to help us with the administration side of, of different pieces. So although it's not going to take a huge amount of work off of me and uh, Heidi, who I work with, it's going to be more about giving us room to think about the other things that we do, some of our events, some of our fundraising. It just means that you don't actually have to worry about those things now because you know they're going to be done by somebody else. So I think there is a point where you can get to where actually, you know, trying to look at budgeting and not increasing costs can actually be detrimental to, in terms of your growth and how successful you are. And ultimately, I guess there's a there's potentially not a lack of vision because that sounds too judgmental, but there's a there's a slight confidence issue maybe isn't there in, in the charitable sector where when you look at um, social enterprises like uh, Change Please who um, have now taken over the entire as I believe AMT uh, business and that started on quite a small level quite a simple level mm -hmm. doing a sort of small and simple goal even though it was very worthy and now it's uh, quite a huge endeavour um, they're in the States as well. And as I say, they've taken over the AMT chain. So they're in a lot more places. And suddenly you've got this huge um, ongoing organisation. Whereas, do you think there's a level whereby having this passion that we have to make a change, to make something different, can sometimes constrain you into looking on a smaller scale to not looking like for world domination and even you know, sort of national coverage that it might keep people on a, on more of a local or, or kind of regional level. Yeah, I think that's a big big worry. I think in terms of you know taking that hit, and I think um, you know businesses would do that. This businesses are much more risk um, reward type places, whereas I think charities are really risk averse. You know, it's you know. What if we invest in that new person? And what if we don't grow like we're going to? And, you know, and, and to be fair that, you know, especially when you're on social media um, and you know locally, you've also got to be really, really aware that, you know, you've got to keep your nose clean all the time and you don't want people to get the impression that you're recruiting, you know, people with top salaries and, you know, and I know, you know, last year I think or the year before and lose years now because of the pandemic but you know with the children's trust and that whole you know all these people knew that there, that there was this income coming in and it wasn't being used in the right way and you know then everyone just tars charities with the same brush so it's you know charities are doing this and so you've got to be really aware because you have got lots of people on the sidelines keeping you on having opinions and um so yeah i think whereas companies could probably although some of them get berated don't they when they get all these these chief executives from top salaries but i think um charities more so i think you've just got to be really conscious of perceptions as well um and i think you know we we do do that and we do it in terms of using the right kind of language and you know how we how we um, you know talk about Duchenne because there's a whole community of people that have Duchenne and you've got to be aware of that. So I think um, 
it's it's really difficult. To, I think it was a finer line in in charities. I think in terms of um, you know wanting to put that investment in and is it the right thing to do, but also being seen to do the right thing. Um, I, was I was interested as well. You were saying, um, which I think is probably a very common feeling about feeling guilty that you're taking money out of the organisation, but that in many ways that guilt is 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 it a self kind of created feeling or is it connected to what you were just saying about how charities are seen as, oh, you know, this people getting this amount of money, there's not enough money being spent within the charity to actually deliver on what they should be doing. It's all being funded off over here, there and everywhere. And this guilt is connected again, I feel, to this feeling like we talked about at the beginning, where if you do something that you really care about, you almost deserve less recompense financially but we're never really going to make any change happen in the world unless we do it with a commitment that is only possible if we can commit because we're not having to make ends meet elsewhere so how have you over the years overcome that guilt or kind of handled that guilt in terms of you're being paid to do something for an organization and seeing that what you're doing is actually worthwhile and that it's you know worthy to the organization as well as the cause I think um I don't think I'll ever feel 100% comfortable about it I, I must admit and um I, you always do this thing where don't over explain it either because it makes you sound even more guilty so um but yeah I think I think because um, the way that we work as a team, where we're quite effective, we're very efficient, you know, everything we do has a purpose and we make sure that it's got value to it, I think then enables me to feel like, well, actually, you know, you are making a difference because you're, without wanting to blow my own trumpet, but you are good at what you're doing um, and you're being as effective as you possibly can be which just means that actually you probably deserve and you know as much as I do get paid I don't get paid anywhere near what I used to get paid I have to say and I'm quite lucky that I am able to you know take a lower income I guess um it's not you know it's not a bad income but it's definitely a lot less than I would have earned in the corporate world so some sometimes that makes me feel a bit better kind of counter that girl I suppose but um yeah and I think I think God, I heard a statistic earlier on in the year something like um 50 percent of scientific research is funded by charities something like 4.2 billion pounds and then I think to myself well if there wasn't charities and if there weren't people that were earning an income to develop that 4.2 billion, I think it was that, I could be quoting it wrong, billion pounds and funding 50% of scientific research into conditions, um, then where would we be? You know, we've, we, if you look at cancer type charities and how they've developed over the year, where they're kind of saying one in four um, people did survive cancer. And now I think we're two in four, two in four, that kind of, progress that we're making is largely down to charities and the investment and the focus and the efficiency they probably put on some of these projects that wouldn't ordinarily happen so I guess 
in a way you kind of think when you look at it like that it kind of maybe counteracts the guilt and it just makes me a little bit sad that it's charities that have to do that I suppose it goes back um, to what we were uh, covering at the very beginning and, and where we've kind of come from in terms of um, working for a charity, you, you need to have the ability to do it for free in many ways, like you've done for volunteering. You need to have that passion and that excitement that what you're doing is, is going to have a real um, result and that you'll be able to see that result. And that ultimately it's that result but then, ironically enough, to you needing almost the passion to do it for free. It's that result that you can see in front of you that then uh, kind of rationalizes the money that you then need to, to have in order to keep doing it for 100%, to keep committing to that goal. And the, um, the fact that you can, like you just said, you know, you can see the impact being made on research and the impact being made on treatments that that's out there and that you're part of the progress towards that improvement. That obviously comes back and, and gives you, like you say, it gives you that, that solace, that feeling that you don't need to, to kind of awkwardly explain, you know, where your money comes from or why you're not doing something for free. But ultimately it does come down to money, doesn't it? You know, there is a level of money here that you can't ignore and businesses and charitable organisations, they both share that, that, you know, they can't run without money. So looking at the, the way that a small charity functions and the need that that small charity has to bridge the funding gap and get that money in to keep the cause being addressed and uh, awareness created around um, solutions towards that cause. If you were going to start a new charity tomorrow from scratch, but imagining that someone else was dealing with the governance and the legal stuff and all the headaches how would you go from day one to your, your thousandth donation? How would you get the first 1,000 donations to that, to that small charity? I think um, I've always thought of a charity is you put your beneficiaries at the front of everything that you do um, and the impact in front of everything you do. So I think, first of all, it's the message. You know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And who particularly you're doing it for and the difference it's making. And I think that is the key to setting up any kind of fundraising or anything, you know, any kind of arse you're going to go. So you really need to establish that message really well. And then I think you just need to be able to get it out there. And at the moment, there's so many different charities you're fighting, you know, for space um, against all of those. So you've got to make your, I guess, you've got to make your message, you know, very clear, very exciting, and, you know, people understand the impact and how they're going to help you. So, you know, we use social media a lot. Um, we use our newsletters, but how would you initially get those? Um, well, first of all, we, use, we started by networking. So, we network not only in you know the traditional networking businesses type thing we also did it within different community groups so we went to go and speak to the WIs and the Rotary clubs and schools you know started spreading the word of what we were doing and why we were doing it and 
that's the thing I think it's just the different channels of how you can get your message out so you can't just use one it's you need to and then I think once you've established that a little bit one thing that we really noticed recently that's been a great way of helping to spread our awareness is collaboration so working with people that might have a whole new audience that we haven't come across um or haven't come across us, I would say, or your new charity um, you were trying to establish. And they'll help spread the awareness. You, you've got quite a few people out there that, not celebrity level, but may have loads of followers on there. And if you do something where they can just share a post or share a story, and then suddenly you've come to a whole new audience and a whole new um lots of people that are aware of what you're doing and um we found that really works i mean we're really lucky because we work with the brothers trust who's part of um it's tom holland who's spider-man his charity um but other things that we're starting to do around the campaign that we work with you on is the be more alex is we're doing a sunday spotlight and the sunday spotlight is about people that are being more alex and um, for those that don't know, being more Alex means you overcome resilience. You know, when you've been given lemons, we make lemon meringue pie. Um, and we're working with people that do that, that may, may not have anything to do with Duchenne or may not even have any disabilities, but have, have had um, something that's bad that's happened to them that they've managed to overcome. And then we, we're going to feature them on our Sunday Spotlight. And a lot of those people, because of what they've done, have a lot of followers. So they'll share our Be More Alex, which just raises awareness of Duchenne and what we're trying to do as well. So I think collaboration definitely is a really good way of getting from no supporters to maybe a thousand. I think that that platform sharing, that collaboration you're talking about is is really good. You know, as a, as a piece of advice, it's really good because... So one of the, I talked about this in the last podcast, but one of the things that really prompted me to do a lot of the work I'm trying to do with small charities now is the partnership between Macmillan and Boots of mm -hmm. taking somebody from Macmillan into a Boots store and providing that cancer care service within Boots in a way that benefits both organisations and is also great for the public. And it seems it's one of those things where... Um, you know, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? You you look back and you say, well, obviously that makes a lot of sense. But before it was announced, it didn't exist. It wasn't a partnership that existed. And finding those ways where something that you've got to offer, a resource or a piece of knowledge or, you know, some bit of support that you offer that can cross over well with an audience that would make a difference to you and that can connect you to your um, ideal kind of audience that's a really powerful step to take. But one of the things I thought was interesting in what you said was about being clear and exciting. Now, um, without shouting too much about it, because you know I still feel like you did so much of the legwork on the uh, Be More Alex campaign. It, it feels like what you did get out of that was a level of clarity and excitement that enabled you to run with something. And I remember being at your event last year, and that was, again, another reason why I suddenly started thinking I, I want to work with charities especially small charities to see that moment of of excitement and suddenly you feel like you can go out and, and run with this thing to actually make it happen 
what does it feel like to have that clear, exciting way to get in touch with people? And for, for organisations, for small charities that might not be there yet, how do they begin to recognise what might work for them? What is an exciting message, an exciting way of appealing to donors? Um, well, I think it, it, the message has to be relatable. I think people have to be able to relate to it in some way um, and apply it to their lives or at the very least imagine how it would affect their lives if they were in a similar circumstance. So I think um, that's really important to be relatable. But I think also it's probably important to be positive as well. So to be able to take something like a really sad message, but turn it into a positive message. So, you know, this is what's happening, but with your help, this is where we can get to. So you get to the, you kind of have this feeling of, I can totally understand what it would be like to live with cancer or to be homeless or to suffer depression. But what this charity is going to do is going to take me from that to this point and the benefits and the impact that that charity is going to give. And I think that's, and I think you've got to believe it as a team or as a charity as well. You've got to believe that one, what you're going to do is what you say you're going to do. What you're going to do is achievable. Um, and I think also, you know, just constantly going back to those people, we call it um, within the charities, we have, um, where you constantly go back to the same people and, and explain your impact, stewardship, where you go back to them and tell them like, this is how much impact you've made. This is what you've been doing. And it hopefully will encourage them to continue to support you. But I think um, it always goes back to, you know, explaining your beneficiaries and, and who's going to actually get the results of whatever it is you're going to do for charity, whether it's giving you time or money or, you know, that type of thing. And um, to kind of round it out, to finish off with bringing this, this sort of two world perspective together. So we have to admit that there's a world of money that we've got to be part of because we need money. There's a limited amount of money out there, limited number of donations that like you're saying, you're kind of jostling for position with other charities. Um, and at the same time, we need to be positive, like you say, and clear and exciting. And when you're looking at, at dealing with that, how do, how do you manage when you're doing a fundraising campaign, when you're thinking about how a small charity might run a fundraising campaign, how do you balance that need for the money with the passion and the need for a cause? And how do you find a way to toe that line that doesn't leave you sort of split-minded and, and confused? Yeah, it's a difficult one, really. I think um, the positivity in, in your messaging and your kind of almost assertiveness means people will come along the journey with you and it means that they will kind of you know believe in what you're believing in um and so eventually you know they will kind of sort of hand over their their money um and also feel good about it and I think that's the same same with us really as, as part of the team it's like yeah, we're all here 
you know, it's our jobs, but I think it's important that you understand the impact that you make that can then kind of drive you to carry on and do more. I really like that, actually, what you just said there, which is essentially making people or helping people, not making them, but helping people to feel good about handing over their money. So yeah. it's it's not the, like you said, it's not the sad, sad sob story, of which there obviously are many, that makes people feel sad and then they give over money. It's making people feel good that they have the opportunity to make a difference simply by handing over some money, handing over some time potentially. And I think I think to be really clear to those people of what the difference is that they're making is so important and then and I think that's a, one of the bonuses of being a small charity sometimes is that you know when we work with businesses that have chosen us as charity of the year they're always like you know you come in we see you we understand what you're doing we constantly get updates on you know what you're doing and how we're making a difference whereas and it's not knocking the big charities but you know a another charity they might get like a certificate at the end of the year to say thanks for the money that you've raised but that's not telling them where that money's gone how many people it's helped and I think I think that's so very important because I think people will then either raise more for you or they might carry on supporting you because they feel part of something they feel part of the difference um and I, and I think that's really important in terms of, you know, increasing awareness and increasing your supporter base. That's lovely. That's fantastic. Loads of gold in there. Thank you so much, Zoe. Oh. I really appreciate it. I know we had some problems with technical I know, issues and stuff like that. Fault. Well, no, these things happen, but it is just, it's just the way. But really, thank you for coming back in every time after we dropped off <laughs> and, um, and going through, because I think what you've done there is exactly what I'm trying to do with this podcast of just just to, to give that demonstration of what can be done and that it's not, it's not, it, it is a push for money, but it's not a push for money at all costs. And it's not a push for money that you have to therefore abandon your own principles about doing something for a cause, that there is a middle line and that you can find that optimistic view an optimistic approach to to doing it that can really you know make a difference in the world yeah and I, yeah, I truly believe that if charities become more corporate in their thinking in terms of business and um, and profit I think they'll be much more effective and will make much more difference I think it's brilliant great stuff we're getting there we're getting there <laughs> thank you so much sorry <laughs> thank you for, You're for very coming welcome. along and all the best for the future take care yeah bye bye